Stroke Crypto Unleashed is a podcast about institutional investing and research in Web3, showcasing founders, funders, and friends from the Stroke Crypto Net. Stroke Crypto is a $100 million plus asset under management, early stage Web3 venture capital firm based in Los Angeles and New York City that has been investing in crypto since 2017. Notable portfolio companies include early investments into One Inch, Mythical Games, Hedera Hashgraph, and Zero Hash. All investing is subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and there is no guarantee any investment strategy will achieve its objectives. This podcast is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, securities, or investment advice, or a recommended course of action in any given situation. All opinions and views constitute our judgments as of the date of production and are subject to change at any time without notice. Welcome to episode one of Struck Crypto Unleashed. I'm your host, Neil Feldman, joined by my co-host, Leo Liu, Director of Platform at Struck Crypto. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Oliver and Lang from the investment team. So to kick things off, Lang and Oliver, let's start off with some introductions. Lang, do you want to go first and then followed by Oliver? Absolutely. Um, thank you, Leo and Neil, for having us. Um, so I'm Lang, um, deal team lead at Struck Crypto. Grew up in uh, Vancouver originally in Vancouver, Canada. I lived in Toronto for a number of years uh, before moving to Chicago for uh, business school. I was fortunate enough to um, had, have had exposure in blockchain earlier on in my career. Around 2015 or so uh, in managed consulting and, and tech consulting at Accenture, uh, more on the enterprise blockchain side of things um, like Hyperledger Fabric, R3 Corda, uh, dealing with multiple different uh, exchanges and institutions uh, up north. Uh, so this uh, originally piqued my interest in the underlying technology, and naturally, naturally, I was drawn to the whole centralized versus decentralized debate at the time. I was relatively late into Bitcoin, but I guess early into ETH and other blockchain networks and DeFi protocols I was playing around, around with early on. Uh, this drew me eventually to pivoting full-time into the space. The more I learned about the ethos of the industry, the underlying technology and what it means for democratizing access, leveling the playing field with these globally distributed networks and use cases that can benefit billions of people globally over the long term. This led me to a, a startup operating stint uh, at a Solana-based DeFi project, uh, working with global settlement networks and Web 2.5 uh, fintech products or collateralized FX stables as well. Um, and I was with another crypto VC based out of Chicago before joining Struck Crypto full time. I'll pass it on to Oliver. Cool. Thanks, Lang. Um, yeah, I'm Oliver. I'm also part of the deal team here at Struck Crypto. Um, and my role encompasses everything from you know, sourcing to diligence and some portfolio support. I guess to go way back, I grew up in New Jersey, went to MIT where I studied math and computer science. And at MIT, I was involved in the blockchain club and really fell down the crypto rabbit hole. I was really intrigued by kind of this idea of democratizing access to finance, as well as concepts like digital ownership and credibly neutral platforms. And I didn't really know that there were so many you know, brilliant individuals investing and building in Web3. So I ended up working at Goldman Sachs and an AI startup for some time. Um, but still spend a lot of my free time researching innovations happening in the decentralized world. And eventually I just made the jump and decided to go full-time in Web3. And I joined a venture capital fund called Quantum, where I focused on fintech and Web3. 
they are invested in a few traditional payments companies as well as a few DeFi and infrastructure companies innovating in crypto. So I spent about two years there before I made the move to Struck, where we're focused on finding and investing in um, the most innovative builders across Web3. Thanks for the introductions. So can we start with a general introduction on your investment framework? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're mainly focused on the, the seed and pre-seed stage. Uh, so very early kind of um, investments, uh, sometimes even pre-product and pre-revenue. Um, in terms of our general thesis uh, as a whole, uh, we're, we're mainly, um, I would say, product and founder-led uh, in terms of thesis, as well as we have a top-down thesis for something called skeuomorphism as well, uh, given our strong Web2 uh, experience with Strike Capital and building products uh, the right way with the Silicon Valley mindset, um, wrestling, building from zero to one every day on the studio side as well. So all of this kind of ties together in terms of how we look at startups, how we talk to founders, and how we're thinking about how the space is evolving in general. Um, I would say to double click on that, um, we're more focused on core technology and from in innovation around the uh, picks and shovels of this space, like tooling, middleware, uh, core infrastructure plays. Uh, I would say within DeFi and Web 2.5 plays as well, like RWAs and bridging and TradFi products on chain. Um, and additionally, uh, Web3 at the intersection of various industries as well and use cases, including AI machine learning, various more traditional industries uh, like you know, supply chain, RC finance, as well as um, general democratization of healthcare, as well as other types of industries as well. Uh, anything else to add there, Oliver? Yeah, I think you definitely did a really good job summarizing what we look at. I think in general, from my perspective, we're really excited about products that could help bring crypto and Web3 to the masses, whether that's better onboarding tools or wallets, or even like something like institutional grade DeFi protocols with embedded compliance. So for us, we're really looking for really strong founders um, solving a key pain point in, in Web3. Would love for if you guys can cover a little bit about recent investments as well. Just share some examples of what you guys yeah, absolutely. Uh, so double click on the the skeuomorphic concept we mentioned earlier. I would say that's broadly our our general thesis in terms of how we look at you know the product led approaches and the founder led approaches. Uh, so some recent investments we did include a Notify Network, which essentially resembles Twilio for Web three, um, Liquify, which uh, is essentially part of a Web three. Soul Wallet, uh, leveraging some concepts from traditional finance, uh, including concept of guardians to be able to back, back up your wallet accounts, as well as uh, Eclipse and Shardium. And obviously Eclipse has more of a modular approach taking uh, traditional software concepts and um, evolutions of, of Web 1 and Web 2 combined as well. Um, so to double click onto some of this, um, most of what we look at is Obviously, we, we, we like founders who have had, you know, traditional technology experience, mostly on the Web2 side of things. So um, what really excites us would be someone who's, you know, trained in Silicon Valley, had their kind of stints throughout multiple startups in that space, understands 
um, core product innovation, core product management principles, uh, be able to understand how to take products from zero to one and, and be able to have all the best practices um, that they they follow as well in terms of uh, being able to A-B test products, be able to um, have road mapping and, and just understand how um, go-to-market works as well, in, in particularly in Web3, whereas you know, in Web2, it can be a little bit of a different approach um, without these global network effects from day one. Um, and to double-click a little bit more on that as well, uh, with someone something like Soul Wallet, obviously uh, this was a deal that we partnered with um, some large VCs, also uh, early Ethereum Foundation folks and Vitalik himself as well. Um, obviously, the founder here had both product management really strong product management experience as well as the crypto nativeness to be able to understand uh, how this all fits together with uh, Ethereum broadly as well as how to bring a product like this to the masses as well. Um, so JJ himself um, was very seasoned on that front as well as being able to um, pair up the rest of his team with very kind of deep technical backgrounds as well as um, an understanding for kind of the UI UX side of things. Um, how to mirror some of these more familiar concepts from TradFi bank accounts and, and wallet accounts um, and, and to be able to kind of incorporate this into a wider um, digital network as well within Web3. Awesome. So can you speak to uh, some of the deals that you tend to avoid looking at? Uh, for example, maybe it's just avoiding copying and pasting like broken business models from, from Web2 uh, into a, a crypto-native context. Um, that, that being said, sometimes Web3 creates a, a value add where it, it makes more sense to, to do to do that business model. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about DeFi here, for example. Um, but yeah, would, would love to hear from you what, what kinds of deals you, you tend to avoid, um, you know, understanding that, you know, it, it may, be, may be very case specific. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think from obviously the last year or so, we've seen some of these shorter term, you know, I would call it essentially hype cycles. Um, where it would last anywhere from maybe a month to, to maybe six to seven months. Um, where we've seen a lot of this happening would be in things like individual games, for example, or individual NFT projects, um, or more consumer-led uh, DAOs or yield farming, for example, in, in the DeFi world. Um, I would say that these are more kind of, obviously, you know, shorter-term yield-generated, uh, more the, the term sometimes we call is is pump and dumps but but also um some of these kind of short-term hits like essentially where you know similar to meme coins for example where it's it's really just a group of people um within let's say certain DAOs or or certain communities who are um really looking to kind of get that short-term gain and and sometimes there's ton of nefarious actors in, in that particular uh, vertical as well. So we, we typically tend to avoid these more, um, you know, shorter term hype cycle consumer led approaches, hence why, you know, some things that are further along the risk curve and, you know, have potentially, um, you know, not no longer than a year's kind of time horizon, we, we typically don't really look at. Um, and, and that's why we kind of stick to, to your core kind of picks and shovels and, you know, tooling middleware, core infrastructure plays, obviously, Things like gaming and NFT infrastructure and and core tooling like is is fair game as well. Like we'll definitely look at those, 
depending on, on the team founder, but I would say in general, for those types of things, there would be a much higher bar and, and we'll be looking for much more specific, specific things to really get over the, the hump here since we, we don't do too many deals a year in general. Yep. That, that, that makes sense. You know, focusing on, on long-term adoption through some kind of in infrastructure play as opposed to like, a a, a short-term, you know, token pump and, and dump makes, makes a ton of sense. Obviously that's, you know, terrible to, to invest in, especially when the liquidity for, for the token that you back disappears the, the next day. Um, so one, one, one follow-up that, that comes to mind is as I'm thinking about your investment process is I'd love to understand how you're staying up to date uh, with with the trends that you're looking at, especially if, if you're focusing on avoiding, um, you know, short-term investment opportunities uh, where the the return horizon is is non-existent based on the the quality of the deal. Um, so maybe that's like, hey, like I'm doing a blast on on PitchBook, or I'm really you know sourcing a lot of information from key opinion leaders on on Twitter. Um, so I, I I'd love to hear about about that research process and. And what that looks like for you absolutely so there's um various avenues we typically go to for general research and, and just staying on top of industry trends obviously if we start with twitter um i would say there there are a few obviously um you know more thesis driven type uh accounts where you know they're they're producing uh content that's a little bit longer form or, or medium medium form where it's more thought-provoking and very fundamentals driven um, so we definitely look to those accounts for, you know, thought provoking conversations, questions, and, and just be able to, you know, draw out key insights that, um, they've seen in the space as well. Um, obviously these are more, you know, established, you know, accounts where they're, you know, they have a reputation to protect as well. So not going to necessarily, um, promote all these, you know, shorter term investments, but more looking at the core, you know, fundamental technology of the space and how it evolves over time, um, things like, you know, governance pieces and, and how the size of regulatory, uh, things like global adoption networks in other places outside of, um, the U S and Canada, for example, um, and, and just really having that, that lens that's more product and, and fundamentals driven. Um, so that's, I would say one for on the Twitter, um, and, and more social media side of things. Obviously, we tap into more secondary research as well, like the the block and Masari and, and other types of longer form blogs that that uh, people write and post about, um, both on LinkedIn and other forms. Uh, so we will read some of those. Um, obviously, we'll tap into some of the the industry kind of I would say gurus like you know Vitalik himself or um chris dixon sometimes and just be able to you know absorb a lot of what they're thinking what they're publishing as well and and just you know thinking through how that might tie with some of our past experience in tradfi or you know traditional uh, industries as well um and just really thinking about how you know in the short to medium to longer term how this space could you know, eventually evolve and, and what maybe some of the pitfalls that, that we want to avoid um going into um that uh, kind of have repeated or rhymed in, in the past uh, with web one and web two as well. Anything else there to, to add Oliver? Yeah, I guess the, the one thing I would add and you somewhat touched on it, um, but I just want to reiterate it is that we take our network and social graph very seriously at Shruck. So every member of the, of the firm manages um, a bunch of relationships with other investors and founders. And this is extremely helpful for sourcing as well as doing diligence. 
So if we're looking carefully at a DeFi protocol that we want to invest in, we have a great network of founders, venture capitalists, and builders to leverage to to really do deep technical diligence and to figure out if it's if it's a good fit for our portfolio. And the other thing that I'll mention in terms of staying up to date with industry trends is that we're also really focused on building our own research arm and being able to not only um, consume content, but be able to publish content at a really high level um, and be able to share a thesis with other investors and builders across this space. So that's another really exciting um, you know, initiative that we're taking on this year. Absolutely. And, and just to add to that as well, um, we'll have you know, usually a ton of these ad hoc meetups or, you know, one-on-one convos through Telegram that's, you know, buzzing our phones all day. Um, you know, we're pinging top founders that are both in our portco and outside of our portco. Uh, so in terms of these, I guess, more private-led, um, you know, I guess, alpha or, or, or trends or, or industry news, uh, we'll, we'll typically have, you know, back channel opportunities as well to be able to collaborate with um people in our our top five to ten that, that we usually talk to yep, that 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 all that all makes sense i think those channels are all relatively standard for for the industry and i would totally understand how you're sourcing some of the top deals from from these networks uh coupled with the the thesis driven approach um especially as you're you're starting to get industry feedback from posting some of these views out in the open and, and battle testing them against against the industry. Um, so as we're thinking about the the actual in investing frameworks, um, from your focus on the founder to the market and your diligence process, I'd love to I, I'd love to, to to dive deeper and really start to to understand these frameworks. Um, so if there if so if there are any areas that are immediately top of mind for you um, across those areas or even something else, uh, I, I I'd love to hear more. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, so I would say in general we we have a, a broader framework and then we'll kind of double click into each of the different sections. Um, as, as a top level, obviously we'll look at uh, areas to do with, you know, the founders and the founding team in general, um, including their reputation, um, previous accomplishments, you know, things like crypto nativeness, technical ability and, and general gravitas as well uh, in the space. Uh, Cause we have realized that there is a difference between you know, strong product builders in Web2 and, and really be able to understand and navigate uh, the Web3 world and, and kind of usher in, you know, various types of community. Um, and, and there is generally a different um, kind of go-to-market approaches uh, with Web3 as well. So the founders need to be able to truly understand that from a crypto-native perspective. Um, secondly, on the product side of things, obviously we want to see the the founders be able to articulate a clear vision or roadmap, uh, strong understanding of uh, core ICP, which would be um, a target segment of customers and personas they're they're going after and solving their the pain points for. Um, and obviously, this has to be a you know a ten to you know twenty x I'd say improvement over traditional or or existing kind of solutions that that are on the market. Um, other areas like simplicity of onboarding, uh, user experience, as well as general kind of success metrics, go-to-market plan, and and um, best kind of product management practices that they they understand how to leverage and be able to continue to demonstrate over the the life of the project and and obviously scaling it throughout different phases of of the startup as well. Uh, thirdly, on on the more technical side, obviously, um, I'll, I'll quickly go through this so. 
it's we're not spending time in the weeds um but so a few areas we obviously look at including include uh, just their you know engineering prowess and and technical founder that they have uh, typically a cto um their core innovation and moat uh, from a technical perspective um that they can demonstrate things like infrastructure uh, technical debt um you know testing as well completeness of um, how they're handling later their code as well as uh, team management overall on the technical perspective and uh, engineering skills um next uh, we look at things like traction and competitive advantage obviously from business perspective um we'll double click into their customer pipeline uh revenues kind of beta users and design partners typically we'll we'll uh, do extensive um uh, product or customer calls with um the the core kind of customer pipeline that they would uh, mention so um we'll literally call call up uh, reference calls and and kind of their core design partners to go through a list of our questions that uh, we want to drill deeper on and just start get an understanding of you know truly how um i guess how these pain points are, are being solved by the core product is there actual need like what are some of their other tools that they're using or, or solutions and and you know do they see that as like a long-term sticky product and and uh, something that really lo- they love using they they can't live without so things like that are, are super important to just hear from a customer perspective obviously um and then additionally we'll look at things like competitive advantage obviously differentiation moats and, and attraction um for others in this space as well to, to see how much of a lead this particular project has and and in general, what uh, it takes to kind of overcome um, that lead if if they're not obviously leading the pack. And then lastly, we'll we'll look at things like tokenomics um, with the utility and value of the token itself, some of the vesting se- schedules and, and general kind of, um, you know, cap table optics with the, the token side of things as well that, um, you know, would lead to downstream investors and eventually growth and scaling of the network. So you touched upon a lot of different topics, and I think it was super helpful because it really puts into perspective the really robust budget process. So basically, you know, sharing the reason why Structure does a fund only invests in a handful of deals per year, about making those like high conviction bets in companies that um, have really been vetted through that process. So that way we can really help them uh, going forward uh, from the platform. Absolutely. And and to add to that as well, um, obviously we understand that not every deal is going to be exactly the same or, you know, we don't go through the exact same process for every type of situation. Sometimes there'll be, you know, you know, founders that are extremely impressive that, you know, we maybe bump into once every, you know, 10,000 deals or something like that. Um, obviously there will be exceptions to be able to expedite some of the process in general and, and to also trying to be more surgical about you're asking the right questions, be able to be efficient with the founder's time and, and also um, getting to kind of an answer as quick as possible with um, the kind of highest ROI questions that uh, we want to look at. Um, and obviously, you know, as a deal team, you know, in general, we do typically less than 10 deals a year. Um, but throughout the process, we'll be able to add significantly value add to the founders and team as well, whether it's intros to other funds or you know, starting a search early or, or just giving general product and growth advice 
uh, throughout the process. So, so we understand it's a two-way street, and and you know we're not uh, necessarily taking up significantly um, time from from the founders just with you know one particular fund. We understand they have you know other uh, top funds they want to speak to as well at the same time. So, so that's um, my additional point there. Yeah, it's really about productizing the different processes. Something from let's say like throughout every delivery this process, there's also something known as the full team call where everybody on the team, including Adam Strzok, the first management partner, gets to speak with the team. So that's really one way of just um, having both sides being acquainted with each other. That's also where, like to your point, um, where Struck Crypto can really come in and help add value on certain deals where Struck really wants to, let's say, like uh, be at the forefront in terms of being the value-add investor. So I think um, Aubrey Yep, absolutely. And and just to to clarify as well, um, obviously throughout the process, you know, we understand that multiple of these opportunities and deals are are more technical in nature. So uh, we will have a separate kind of technical diligence process as well uh, with uh, the various folks who um, are able to kind of do code reviews and, and architecture reviews at the firm, and and uh, typically we'll kind of you know have that in as a key part of the diligence um period and and kind of come together uh, as a holistic lens to evaluate uh, towards the end all right thanks thanks for thank thank thanks for the, the the overview there all that was was really really interesting um and 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 it makes a ton of sense as you're starting to really do robust diligence on these deals uh as we start to to close things out um you know obviously there's a lot of technical and and, and qualitative work that goes into assessing these deals from the just the the market landscapes, right? To make sure the the product is really the best. Um, to digging deep into the the technical docs to make sure that the the project isn't a, a rug pull behind the scenes. Um, and and I know you've spoken a little bit um, about this throughout the the interview. Um, but as you start to to meet these founders and and work with them, uh, I, I'd love to understand like any common traits um, or or similarities or or other threads that, that you've started to see to to see across some of the uh, the most recent deals that that you've worked on. Yep, uh, Oliver, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, I can, I can take a stab at this one. I would say there's usually three traits that I think are very common. I think in terms of introverted versus extroverted, there's a wide range um, that can work as a founder. But I would say the two things that I've noticed most um, so far are one being very action oriented. And two, being very being a very strong communicator. Um, on the action oriented, it's someone who is constantly innovating, building their their product and building the team um, to solve whatever problem they're trying to solve. Um, so I think that's obviously something that has stood out about all the founders that we've we've invested in so far. And then on the communication standpoint, I think for us, um, you know, as we go through the dil- diligence process, we often talk to the founder and say that we do this as a marriage as much as it is an investment for us. So for us, it's really important for our platform team and Leo to be able to communicate clearly and effectively with our founders. And that's really allows us to get involved and to have a really big impact. Um, so for us, that's been really important is finding founders who, you know, are responsive, easy to work with, um, can take feedback and can kind of roll with all the punches and, um, you know, changes that they're dealing with as they build as they build a company. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, you know, general kind of, you know, adaptability, kind of perseverance, grit. Um, obviously, we see that oftentimes they're repeat founders as well and, and people who have kind of been through, you know, this a few times um, just to, you know, understand, you know, maybe what they've um, done wrong from the first couple of times, you know, actually be able to learn from their mistakes and, and pivot and adapt um, and just, you know, general you know, high, big picture strategic thinkers, but also having that execution capability as well to, to you know, ship with pace and be able to uh, drive that product-led approach as well. Um, so I think those are all kind of key traits we look for in our founders, and, and they've been apparent um, in most of the, the restate we've been looking at. Something that Lang mentioned earlier in the conversation around companies like Dotify and Liquify, from my perspective, I find super interesting is that they bring that discipline from their Web 2 experiences into Web 3. And that's super interesting because I think, especially in this climate, it really does take that discipline. I think like gone are days when there really isn't much happening in terms of uh, focus on regulatory compliance or treasure management. So it's running a company, a Web 3 company, like Web 2 company, um, keeping all of the like best practices in that sense I think that's really good to see because it shows that they're really in it for a long haul. Well, like there's no, nothing's like going to be uh, an oversight that could lead to problems going on in the future. So I think that just might work. So everyone here has a very deep institutional background in crypto from Oliver to Lang and, and to Leo specifically. And I'd love to learn about that institutional background, specifically really the discipline of, of these institutions and how that shaped some of your experiences over at, at Shrek Crypto. So I can start with this one. I think it's just, it's somewhat relieving a lot of times when we're looking at founders who aren't DJs, basically, because it helps in terms of coachability. Like, I think, uh, like, a lot of times in venture capital, it's about pattern recognition. And so we're able to help founders and help coach them based on what about it. This is more so from the deal team, what they're seeing in the market. Um, and so I think like having that coachability, being open to feedback and then being able to basically like learn from what they're doing, that's super important, especially in this climate with ever-changing regulatory environment and such. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to add to that as well, I think there is a definitely a level of, you know, discipline, structure, and, and just more process-oriented mindsets coming from, you know, Web2, you know, Silicon Valley trained or, or, or corporate and let's say consulting roles or or kind of investment banking roles. As an example, um, we we obviously do want to marry the two in terms of actually having crypto nativeness and understanding the space, but also be able to approach building product and, and actual businesses the right way. Um, and that, you know, typically comes through years of, you know, experience and practice and be able to, you know, having done this a few times as well. Um, obviously, you know, maybe peak 21 or peak 2020, you know, the, the pure degen types was kind of essentially cool and maybe the way to go at the time, but obviously the longer term and, and in terms of actually building out you know, a robust business that will sustain the long term. Uh, we see a lot of these founders where, 
know, they have that robust experience, but also understanding where the space is going and how to build in this space, even if it means, let's say a web 2.5 approach in the short to medium term and, you know, scaling towards more decentralization and, uh, outwards as well. So we see, uh, founders like John Linden, for example, and, and Edward from zero hatch having these traits and just really be able to, you know, marry the two and, and be able to, to pr- take the best from both worlds essentially. So one thing that just came up there was the importance of coachability within founders. The reason I mentioned this is I was reading Mark Roberge's book about how he built and scaled HubSpot. So if you're not familiar, he was HubSpot's SVP of worldwide sales for roughly six years and scaled the company from one customer to 12,000. As he started to analyze the performance of his sales team and how he was building the hiring process, the number one trait for him ended up being coachability as opposed to something like intelligence, curiosity, aggression, or anything like that. Although, although of course, those those are important things. The reason I, I mentioned this is we just touched on how important coachability is, and I'd love to dig deeper there. Yeah, there's definitely a lot there. So this is definitely more on the post-investment side of things, like we're doing check-in calls with the founders and such. One prime example is actually JJ from SoulWallet. So JJ is a first-time founder, and he's been doing great. And I think one reason why is because he has been able to take feedback. So for example, like there's a lot of things that a founder has to do that they weren't done before, uh, setting up, uh, you know, more on the administrative side of things. Uh, and so the thing is like, these are things that as investors we've seen before, and that way we're able to that recommend a solution based on the pattern recognition. This is also just from having relationships with a lot of the different vendors within the ecosystem where we can then just provide the right kind of information and then the founder can really just have it allocated to the vendor. So kind of something that is, you know, it's not something he really needs to manage as long as he's able to uh, like understand what the best in class solutions are, he can take it and run with it. Another example is actually Liquify. So the founder, Robin G, he has just been super coachable as well. Like there's a lot of times I think where in terms of like the founder and decent relationship where the investor a lot of times is really that person who's like in the trenches with the founder um, and then just talking through certain things where there might be a block and it just really had an honest conversation and then performing experiments because with early stage startups, a lot of times it really is just experimenting. I think like that's why like picking these small bats that are each connection bats, uh, doing one small thing, seeing if it works. And then if it really does uh, really going with it, that could really help in terms of re- moving the needle. So it's where uh, investors can really help. And so, um, you know, tying together both the deal team side and then uh, what happens those investors on the platform side, it's really the deal team, they're there to meet the founders and then screen them uh, through the business process and the company to make sure that there's really the convection to then make those webs and support them um, as they scale as your next round and then forward. Yeah, thanks. Thank, thanks, for, thanks for all that, Leo. I, I think that, that really clarifies the, uh, the way in which a founder needs to be coachable. Um, so, so I really appreciate that. So to, to cap things off, um, I'd love to, for, for everyone else who's, who's interested, where, where can we learn more about, about Struck Crypto? 
Yeah, I can I can talk a little bit about this. It's an easy one. So first, um, you can go to our website, strugcapital.com, where you can find all of our bios, take a look through our portfolio, as well as kind of some of our investment philosophies. That's definitely a good place to start. Um, beyond that, we're active on Medium, Twitter, um, and LinkedIn, and have really focused on posting on a much more frequent frequent basis. So definitely feel free to interact with what we're posting there, post comments, and and just engage with us. Um, and I think beyond that, um, you know, another thing that we do on Medium is that whenever we make an investment. We'll write up a post explaining why we made that specific investment. So if you're ever trying to, you know, really take a look into our minds and how we're thinking about things, that can be super helpful. And then finally, the last thing that I'll mention is that, like I said before, we're really focused on publishing more research and um, internal thesis development. So just be on the lookout for for more of that from us in the coming quarters on Medium, Twitter, and, and other mediums.